Hey, everybody. Welcome to Inside Situation, a bi-weekly podcast where we share with you some of the conversations we're having in the agency. I'm Peter Yajisic, Head of Technology at Situation. And today I have two wonderful guests, one old-time veteran on the podcast and one new voice who you guys haven't heard before. Um, first, we have Miriam Nagar, uh, executive producer here at Situation. Hello, Miriam. Hello. Welcome back. Thank you. I'm this happy to be here. Time number three. Time number four. Three, I time believe. Number three. I you were you were so. on one of our very first episodes. Uh, crowd favorite. We're so glad you're oh. back. <laughs> uh, I didn't get any fan letters, Peter. Oh, I don't give those out. I oh. keep them all for myself. <laughs> Uh, and we have uh, also with us today Eileen Minnick. Welcome, Eileen. Thank you. And your title here at Situation is the Operations and Events Supervisor. Is that right? That is correct. Uh, and so you, you and I have worked very closely recently on some events that we've done here. And that, that kind of leads us into our topic today, which is all about uh, creating events and, and what it takes to kind of get a successful event on its feet. Um, and all the work that goes on behind the scenes to ensure that things go off smoothly. We do a lot of events here at the agency, whether it's uh, on behalf for our clients. Uh, and, and Miriam, you have a lot of expen- experience doing events, especially as it relates to video shoots that we do. Mm-hmm. Um, the coordination of all the pieces that go into making an event go off smoothly to make sure that we get what we need. And Eileen, you really spearhead a lot of the agency events that we do, whether that's uh, events outside of the walls where we're doing our quarterly event series at the Rubin Museum or other locations, but also all of the events that we do here at the agency, whether our, our open houses or we just did a tech showcase not too long ago. And so you're really helping to plan and coordinate all of those things. Is that fair to say? Yeah, that's oh, pretty good. <laughs> cool. Well, She's the lady. <laughs> it's true. She is the boss. Um, so but before we jump into the conversation, I know I've given a little bit of a, a background, but, but could you guys tell briefly to our listeners uh, what it is you do here at Situation, uh, whether it's related to events or even beyond that? Uh, Eileen, let's start with you. Sure. Um, I do a little bit of everything. I like to say I'm a jack of all trades around here. I uh, handle operations, so you know the day-to-day tasks in the office, but also events. So that could be anything from, like you said, a staff event where we're just having fun and throwing a party. We have one tonight. Um or it could be something like the intern program. I oversee that. Or situation project. I'm uh, hugely involved in that, you know, be it arranging tickets for them uh, or helping them with some of these deeper dive programming things that we're doing currently. We're uh, working with students up at MS343 to create uh, their own short films based on some themes from Paramore. That's super awesome. Thank you for that. And, and Miriam, can you talk a little bit about what you do as an executive producer? Sure. So my main focus is on our video uh, projects. So any kind of video projects that enter into the agency, I'm the person that is producing them, working out all the logistics for our shoots, hiring our crews, and um, and just overseeing those budgets. Uh, and then I think at, at one point, part of my title was special projects, which really um, included also photography. Um, and then I think anything else that we can't really define <laughs> just fell under that bucket. So. so so also perhaps a little bit of a jack of all trades. Uh, I, I, I guess, I guess. I think I have some good focus though, which, and I'm the person that needs uh, boundaries and clarification. So I'm up for anything, but yeah, I think my main, my main focus is video. Fantastic. Well, I, I mean, I think you both highlighted a little bit uh, the, the fact that 
you know, you have to be flexible when, when you're planning events. Can, you know, just to get into it a little bit, how did you guys get into the jobs that you're doing now? Is it something that you feel like you were born with? Uh, is it something that you grew to like over time? You know, and, and I guess thinking about how, what it takes to put together a successful event, can an event planner be made or are they born? Is it something that's just kind of in your DNA or is it something that you've grown to appreciate over time, do you think? Well, the only reason why I think it may be part of my DNA is because I think I'm a planner because my mother and is a planner is like a very intense one at that, you know, anything from just like family dinners to like big events, like she is incredibly organized and she instilled this need for everything to be like crazy planned for me. Like she was the kind of mom that, you know, we'd finish breakfast and she was like, so what are we going to do for dinner? <laughs> like, you know, um, <laughs> My sister is, is very much the same way. Uh, my brother, I'm not really sure what happened to him, but I do think that uh, it may be genetic, at least for some of my family members. So I think you, I was potentially born into it, but I think that it is something that being a good planner um, or, you know, actually more of an event producer or, you know, producer of any kind is really something that you do pick up over time, or at least you hone your skills over time. Because I think more than any other type of job, it is uh, trial by fire. Like you kind of have to go through it and have many difficult challenges come up in order to get better. Yeah. What about you, Ali? Um, I have a very different experience. I come from a family who are not very big planners and they like to fly by the seat of their pants. And I think that always made me a little bit crazy. And so I think they made me into a planner uh, and an organizer. And uh, I'm an only child, so I always kind of took the lead and, you know, handled everything myself. Um, and, I, you know, I fell into event planning and things like that, I think, because I love organization and I love... Um, seeing things come together and the final product. I don't like leaving something before it's finished. So I think that's why I like to event plan. <laughs> Is there something, you know, when you're talking about putting together an event, normally there's also kind of a finite nature to the planning of an event. You you lead up to it, you do all the prep work, and then the event happens, and then then it's over. And then you you move on to the next event, most likely. Is there something about the finite nature of kind of having – that uh, encapsulated event that is appealing as opposed to something that's just, you know, continually evolving over time and time and never really changing. Is that, is there that part of the appeal is having a goal? Yeah. I mean, I think that there's, there's always a nice, um, having a, putting a button on it is always nice having something that change. Like I like doing events because you know, there's an end and then, you know, the another one's going to come and it's completely different. When right. I used to do theater, you were doing the same show eight days a week. Um, and that was lovely. But after the challenge and after the excitement kind of wore off, if you were doing a longer run, it was hard to find the passion to keep doing it every day. And I have friends that still do it and love it, but that was not for me. I needed the next adrenaline rush, the next thrill of like, well, what's the next challenge going to be? Which is why I always enjoyed teching a show because you never knew it was going to come next. You never knew what that challenge was going to be. And for me, continually, continuously planning events gives me that rush, that adrenaline that I need. Um, and it, you know, you, what's fun is you get to do a bunch of different types of events. So, you know, we just did a tech showcase and now we're getting ready to do TEDx Broadway, two mm. totally different events, um, but they take the same skill set. Well, uh, yeah. And, and it's interesting because I think that even though the events change one after another and, and they do end a lot of the events that, that we do here at the agency, yet there are some that we do year after year or, 
you know, even though the content may change, our, our kind of events that we do at the Rubin pretty much at this point have been a similar format for, I'd say, the past half dozen or so. So is there is there something nice about where where does the innovation come when you're doing the same event again, either the next year or can you can you talk a little bit about do you do you keep keep tabs on the things that you always want to improve the next time? Yeah, I think I mean the important part is you don't ever want to have any sort of fatigue in the event. So you don't want to feel like you're doing the same thing. You don't want to feel like you're just doing it because that's what you do every year. You do this event. Um, it's something that we face regularly uh, when doing our agency events or TEDx Broadway. You want to keep it new and fresh and you want to make it feel relevant and important. So you're always trying to figure out, well, what can, are we doing this just because it's easy and it's, you know, we don't have to think about it too much. It's that or, time again on the calendar. Exactly. Or are we doing it because there's a reason? Is there something we want to share? Is there an opinion, an idea? Um do we want to bring together a certain community? What is it exactly that we're focusing on? And I think that's what's so interesting about our agency events is we really do pinpoint what it is we're trying to talk about, um, which makes it easy to plan and exciting. And that's why our speakers are so passionate and our events are so successful, in my opinion, hmm. is because there is a desire and a reason for them. There's a reason behind them that's current and relevant and people are passionate about. Well, and it's interesting because I think it's a kind of a dance, at least in in somewhat in the the ones that I've been in, involved in. I think sometimes it does. You don't want to wait until you necessarily have something to say. So sometimes you do look at the calendar and say, "This would be a great opportunity." And having that deadline forces that creative those juices to go and say, "You know, we we've sent out an invitation. People have said yes. They're coming." So, but if you wait until you feel like you have something to say before you even conceive of having an event, sometimes you'll never do it because you have to have that kind of uh, what Damien calls that butterfly uh, in your stomach feeling to know that oh we we've got to get into gear because this is this is happening. And I you know I certainly sympathize with that with the podcast we release every other week and we've got to constantly go back to the well and say, what's an interesting conversation we can have? And that kind of forces you to be creative, I think, because you have those restrictions. It does. And I think that, you know, that is kind of how we live our life here at the agency in terms of events. We look at the calendar and we say, okay, like these, this is the time that it's good for us to plan an event. And we usually start planning much later than we should for some of them. <laughs> um, but it's because we're we're trying to figure out what is the right thing to talk about. And that butterfly effect is true. It, I think it helps to have a little bit of flutter to not know exactly, um, but to be forced to find what it is you're going to talk about and to find that passion. Um, and sometimes, I think Miriam, you can speak to this. Sometimes it's like that on the client side too. You know, we don't necessarily know what the idea is or what the project is going to be. We just know it's going to happen this week and we find out pretty last minute right. what it might be or or the show is opening mm -hmm. you know there are milestone dates against which a uh, production you know or right. a tv show is premiering but do, do you find that to be well i think i mean you guys are kind of i can relate in that you're talking about specifically about content driven events and i think you know to a certain um extent it doesn't you know obviously if you go in with a good event planner um the logistics can run really smoothly, but the the number one kind of variable is the content that's, you know, uh, presented or created. Um, and I think that's, you know, people kind of forget about that sometimes. You know, I always kind of joke like I don't worry as much about the logistics just because once you've gone through um, events or uh, film production, you kind of know what you're doing. Like the, the 
actual nuts and bolts of it are somewhat easier to figure out. My always my concern is the content. And, you know, I love video production because we are creating something at the end of the day. Um, it's we're doing something very specific. Everything that we shoot, um, you know, is potential for in an edit. So the production is just kind of a small part of it. Um, so I know like with some things, like for instance, we've done these NBCU, like uh, pretty major uh, events. The upfronts. The upfronts. Yep. Thank you. And and it's, it's just and in that experience, I know every time I was like, there are a lot of logistics, but we will work those out. I am more concerned about what is going to be up there on that stage and, um, and you know, what, what uh, actual games we're playing because that's kind of a large component of it. But that's, absolutely the thing that I think makes the difference at an event um, or when you're shooting. Well, and, and anyone who wants to hear about uh, the upfronts in detail, that was one of the first podcasts that you were on, Miriam. Where we, <laughs> Jordan was there and we were still figuring out how to do this whole thing. And I think that was year one lot. too. Yeah, that I think you're right. It was yeah. right after we did the first one. So people can go back into the archives to listen to the details of that. But that's a good that's a good segue into something that we've touched on in the podcast before. I think, you know, if we're doing a video shoot for something that's going to be edited, there's a certain level of pressure and you're you're working with the realities of, you know, talent availability and things like that. But you know that the magic is going to happen kind of in the edit when you put it together. But something more and more, and, and Damien certainly has expressed his opinions on this as has Chris when he was on the podcast the 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 live shoot the the YouTube and Facebook live and Periscope live and, and now Instagram live has just come into the world the 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 concept that people think the planning around producing live content is somehow easier. Oh, we'll just turn on a camera and point it. But, you know, I think our philosophy as an agency has been that it's really hard, almost harder to do something engaging that is live. Uh, and, and, you know, I think when you're doing that, you know, in the moment, if it's good or not. And similarly with an agency event, you know, while it's happening, if you've succeeded. Uh, there is no edit for for our live event series necessarily, unless we're putting that content out later, which we sometimes do. But um, can you guys talk a little bit about the challenges of working without a net, as it were, and having like one, you know, our clients are, our live events clients are used to that all the time, um, you know, or at least that opening night, they can work out the kinks and preview periods and things like that. But does that put any additional pressure on the concept of event planning when you know that it's instantly being consumed as opposed to, oh, we have time in the edit to fix it if it wasn't great. Yeah, I mean, of course, once when something is live and you get one shot at it, of course, there's a, hu a huge added pressure to make sure that things go well and that it's engaging and it looks good and the sound is good and the, <laughs> and the visuals are good. Um, I think it, it's, it adds a whole new level to production. And I think um, I mean, in terms of like Facebook Live and, and all these others, like social media has kind of given us this um, power to not have, you know, I think the concept of a live broadcast is, is really an old one. Sure. But, you know, as social media is done across the board, it really gives um, additional people the keys to actually making that happen. So I think on a perhaps on like an individual level. You know, there are so many new opportunities and I think that's very exciting. And again, I still think content is key is king. Like if if you are just I've seen people do Facebook Live of like, I don't like walking down the street. You know, it's like that to me is not particularly interesting and engaging. And I think as an individual, great. You that's your moment to do that. I think that's that's something that is pushing us ahead on that individual level. But for a brand, 
I still think that, you know, a brand, whether or not you're consuming it live or not live, you still need to kind of uphold certain brand principles. And and I think that's where it's a murky area in terms of potentially cost of these different, you know, live, let's say, broadcasts for not a better reason. So I don't think that it, it kind of excuses a need for quality. Mm. Um, and in fact, I think, you know, to Damien and Chris's point, it kind of puts an extra pressure to make sure that uh, you're still, you still look good right. when, you get, when you use that tool. Do you think the fact that a lot of people can create their own events, their live events, because we've distributed that power to everybody with a phone, do you think that there's a perception out there that it's it's easy? Uh, and, and you know, be, I personally have, you know, seen the events and the, the shoots that we do and the prep that we do and, and Eileen, the, the events that we do. And I think sometimes I, when you're on a certain side of it and you're not kind of in, in the weeds of seeing all the coordination that these things take, it's very easy to say like, oh, yeah, that's just easy. all you did was you – got a room and people showed up and they did it. But I feel like unless you've done it, unless you've been in that process, you really don't have a sense of everything that's involved in making it look good or easy. Uh, how do you deal with that perception when people just, you know, take it for granted, you know, because they go to an event and they had a great time. They just, they don't see what it really takes to, to make it successful. Yeah. I think the hardest part with anything live is that there is quite a lead up process whether you have a month or a year to plan it, there's still amount, an amount of rehearsal, uh, preparation that goes into it. Um, and within a live event, it takes more of that than with um, a filmed event because you can edit in a, uh, you know, a televised or a filmed event where you're taping it and then editing it later. With a live event, you get one shot. So you really have to plan and think for what could go wrong. Um, not even so much the logistics of the event. You know, that like Miriam said, that does always fall into place. But it's really knowing exactly what you're talking about, knowing what you want to put out there, knowing what the, you want the user experience to be um, are always really important. And I always focus on user experience because if your customers, if your attendees are happy, they can forgive some of those things that go wrong. Um, but if they're, if they're having a miserable time and, and your content's not great, then you're definitely not going to succeed. Yeah. Well, and I think, I'm sure you've both encountered people whether it's speakers at an event that you're helping to produce or talent that, oh, we don't, you know, I think at the upfronts was an example, we weren't sure who was going to be hosting mm -hmm. up until very close to when that was going to be happening. How do you guys deal with that either last minute, uh, this is a person who's now an integral piece of what we're doing, or, you know, they refuse to come to the table to rehearse and put in the time required to make sure that they are comfortable with what the lights are like and the sound is like and the clicker works or where it hit the hitting their marks. Like, have you, without naming names, have you guys had experience with those personalities who feel like they just want to come in and wing it? <laughs> well, I mean, I, and not specifically your talent. I mean, the unforeseen elements that come into play and like things coming together at the last minute, I have tons of experience with that. I think that's just, I've learned it's just an accepted part of what we do. And I kind of joke sometimes, especially in the Broadway space, that we I feel like sometimes we're second-class citizens, you know, <laughs> and that being the video production. You know, we recently just um, were asked to shoot a cast recording for a client, and we it was like, you need to go in 
at, like for four days and shoot the entire cast. And, and, you know, our, and that is a situation and this happens a lot where the priority, let's say is, is sound design. It is the actual recording and engineering right. of, of that. That is the number one priority, but um, it's also a potential um, tool for the show to help promote it. So, you know, our, our kind of marching orders is to create something that looks beautiful, that really excites fans. So they hopefully will purchase cast album of whatever show. So in this situation, you know, we're trying to balance those two uh, priorities was difficult. And we were kind of asked to like shoot things in like 10 minutes with no lights. And I think it's, it's challenging in that situation because we want to obviously do our best um, in, in the confines of a very kind of hard situation in terms of getting things right on our end. But you know what? You make it work. And again, we do have the benefit of editing, but it's it's very frequent that we're kind of asked to film things and the ideals for filming are not um, are not met. So it is what it is, but <laughs> it's always kind of a challenge, um, especially when you're working so much in live events. Right. I think the other thing is when you're doing like when we do TEDx Broadway every year, we have a host of a range of speakers um, on all different topics um, for all different lengths. And, you know, sometimes you get a speaker at the last minute um, who doesn't have a lot of time to turn around their speech, their talk. And um, you want to make sure that it is matching the rest of the, the quality of the rest of the content that's going on stage. But quite frankly, you're not sure because you're not getting it until the day before, hours before the event. They don't have a lot of time to rehearse, um, if at any at all. And um, so you just kind of hope and fingers crossed that it's going to be okay. And sometimes it is and sometimes it isn't. And then it's, well, what do we do when it isn't? Right. And, and trying to problem solve how to deal with it if it wasn't the greatest or it didn't match the rest of it, um, how to how to make that person feel like everything is going to be fine. Cause it is ultimately everything is going to be fine. <laughs> um, but it's, it's also, you know, it's, it's dealing with those emotions and uh, how you, the circumstances that you've been put in. Well, and, and as someone who has spoken at a, a number of our events, I can't tell you, you know, you never feel like you have enough time. You always feel like you want to have more rehearsal. And and I think the, 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 the real value of knowing that there's a team of professionals who have your back, whether it's just, you know, Eileen, you were so great at this in our last event. It's, you know, that to calm those nerves and just say, nope, the slides are ready. Everything's good. That calming influence to know that there is, there is somebody who's got your back, that those, those butterflies are still there, but that you're working with people that have either have confidence that this is just like you said, it's going to be fine. Uh, it's going to go off. The, I think that's infectious. And, you know, when you, if you're working with a group of people that feel like they're running around with their chicken with their heads cut off, then that is also infectious and I think can, can relay into the quality of what's going on. So there's, there's kind of a faking it uh, confidence that, that is, uh, I think, a, a key ingredient to a successful event. Uh, but, but you, you mentioned, uh, and, and I know this is something that we do after we do our events, is the concept of, you know, a debrief or, or let's, let's talk about the things. Let's, let's not just gloss it over uh, and say, whew, well, we're done with that, but let's, let's really examine what are the things that we want to do better next time? How do we, how do we debrief and make sure that we're constantly improving? Can you guys talk a little bit about the importance of that in the process is, is, can you skip it? Does it, what is, what are the perils of doing that? 
I mean, I think that there's value in, in having one if it's merited. If you're doing an event that's the same every time and nothing really went wrong or you, you know, you kind of just naturally know where you need to grow and it's uh, in content or whatever, it may not be necessary. But in an event where it's the first time or the second time and things did go wrong or you saw room for improvement, I think it is important to sit in a room with the people that you're creating the event with and talk to them about where you see this event going, what you would like to get out of it, if if you met your goals or if you see new goals for it, where there's room for growth. Um, I think that the thing that is not helpful in a debrief is pointing fingers, it's accusations, things like that. So as long as you can stay away from that and keep it in the positive and keep it about where the event can go and how it can grow and get better, then they're very valuable. Yeah, I agree. I I think this is, uh, I think it is valuable in some situations, but perhaps because uh, we move so quickly from project to project, I don't find it uh, particularly helpful. And I I hundred because I think it's just something that is ingrained. Like you go through the process, you kind of learn, and then you apply it to the next one. I think that kind of happens for me automatically. And I and I absolutely agree that I can't stand some of the debriefs that happen where it's basically either people complaining or it's people, um, you know, kind of like talking about like who did something wrong. Right. I just don't Throwing find that other people under the bus. I don't find it helpful. I, I honestly don't. I and I and I can say this about myself. I'm a very passionate person and I feel things very intensely in the moment, but once it's happened, it's done, you know? And, and I think that's why I like the work I do. I don't know, Eileen, if you feel the same I way do. about I events, definitely but agree about that. it happens, it was great or it was not so great, but it's done and you move on and you take, you know, you take the things you learn and you apply them, you know, next time. But I don't, I, I think I, I always am cautious when people ask for things like a debrief. I don't know. I don't like the word debrief. Hey, debrief is a, is a tricky word. But I, I do think that if it's a yearly event or if it's an ongoing thing, I think it's a little bit different in your world because it is more production-based. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is something that you can quickly – like. I think as an event planner, you're always learning – and growing yourself. And those are notes, there's notes you make for yourself that you're not going to share with anyone else. You're just going to apply them and they don't need to be brought up. Um, but I think if it is more about content and, um, user experience and, and things like that, then it's worth getting in a room and talking about them because you can't come definitely, up with ideas yeah. in a vacuum. And definitely dependent, I think on the size of the event. Um, and to your point, you know, if it's going to happen again, then I think it, it can be helpful as long as it's done in a positive way where it's it's really more like um, specific to, I think, sometimes like looking at budget versus actuals or, um, you know, or like things that were added on at the last minute just to like make notes. So next, the, the following year, you kind of know. So yeah, there. I mean, I shouldn't so like callously say it's not a good idea. There, I think it, it I is think there's good a time in certain place situations. Yeah. Well, but, and I think Miriam, in the events that you're part of mostly, the feedback is, do we get hired to do that again? You know, there, mm-hmm. there is, there's a very kind of cut and dry. If, if it was a good experience and the client liked it, they'll come back to us with more budget and they'll do something again. Or we'll, right. we'll, word of mouth will get out that this is a, a valuable service that people can hire us for. With Eileen, I think with our agency events where, you know, we never charge for tickets. In fact, it's an investment that we make to, to you know, for lots of different reasons. But, uh, you know, what what role does feedback from people who have attended, how important is that? So not not just the internal team, but I know sometimes we send out surveys after events to say, what did you think worked? What didn't you think worked? What would you like to see in the future? Is is that play a different role in these things where 
there's no monetary thing involved in terms of nobody's going to hire us to do this again because they didn't hire us to do it this time. Yeah, I mean, I think that there there can be value in it. Sometimes, you know, you you walk a fine line when you send a survey out. You never know what the feedback you're going to get is. And is it going to be constructive? Is it going to be useful? Or is it going to be something that you look at and you're like, well, there's nothing I can do to change that. Um, do they comment on the food? Sometimes they do, <laughs> of course yeah. They do. <laughs> um, the free food. The free food. Always, the free always. food and how, you know, they wanted to have that fourth cup of orange juice and we they weren't able to have three. <laughs> exactly. And yeah. I think the other problem is, is, you know, you, you get conflicting feedback. So one person will have loved the start time and another person will have hated the start time. Um, but one use of it that was really constructive is we just sent out a, f- a survey after our last event, our last agency event at the Rubin, and learned that Friday morning is actually a great time for our clients to come to an event. So, you know, that was like really useful information. We're like, why did we have such high turnout? Was it content? Was it this? Was it the fact that we did it on a Friday morning? It seems like, yeah, maybe it might have played a factor. So knowing that, we can say, okay, well, how do we plan them for Friday mornings going forward? Is right. that really the, you know, if that's the sweet spot? Um, so there is useful stuff, but it's also most of it, I would say, is is conflicting reports on <laughs> subjective material. Well, yeah, the like, food is very important, though, I will say. <laughs> I, think it no I think the women does it pretty well. I, I would agree with that. And, and I, I can d- tell you that's always the biggest part, biggest surprise in the budget is like food expenses and the uh, thing that you get the most feedback uh, from Absolutely. a group. Oh, yeah. <laughs> People aren't shy about that. By any stretch of the That's why I always hate having to order the food. I don't ever I know, want to be in charge too. of it. Well, Miriam, uh, Eileen, thank you guys so much for, for taking some time to have a little event here today in recording the podcast. Uh, you guys are amazing at what you do. Thank you so much. And uh, appreciate your, your being on the podcast. Yeah, there was one uh, thought that I've had during this conversation. Do, you, guys, do you remember um, Shakespeare in Love? Mm-hmm. Do you remember? Barely. That? I remember seeing it. But. And Jeffrey Rush's character—he's he, the like—he's the producer, and he keeps saying he's—I like, don't remember the exact line. I mean, maybe you could help me, but it's basically something along the lines of like, Mr. Funnyman, allow me to explain about the theatre business. <laughs> the natural condition is one of insurmountable obstacles on the road to imminent disaster. So what do we do? Nothing. Strangely enough, it all turns out well. How? I don't know. It's a mystery. Well, whatever, whatever gods above are making it all happen, we, we humbly supplicate to you and appreciate your kindness. Um, thank you, guys. Appreciate your time. And if you guys, our listeners, want to give us any feedback, if you'd like to learn more about the events that we do, please send us an email to podcast at situation.myc. And we have a little bit of a special treat uh, for the end of the podcast today. Last year, for our year-end podcast, we released a track from our agency album, to wrap up the podcast, uh, the uh, song from that Damien put together. And this year, uh, we're going to play the full version of uh, our intro and outro music that we use here on the podcast. It's a song that we licensed uh, from an online service. It's called Naive Fellow by an artist named Sung Tae Kim. And uh, we really dig it. It's become part of the, the heartbeat of, of the podcast uh, and, and kind of part of our personality. And we thought you guys might enjoy listening to the whole thing. So for your listening pleasure, thank you for listening to us this year. And here you go. <laughs>